for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Kazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au. Here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. It is Mike Gore here in the studio. This month, we have two incredible episodes for you. The first is a Q&A with a good friend of mine called Vibo Nikolai. He's been working with our ministry for more than 30 years. He spent five years in the Soviet Union, 16 years in the Middle East. But more than that, he's the creator of what we call the World Watch List. It is an indexed ranking of the 50 hardest places on earth to be a Christian. And in many ways, it what sets our ministry apart. The exciting thing is in a couple of weeks' time, we are launching the 2018 list. It is probably the biggest thing to drop for our ministry each year, and we are really excited to share that with you. But before we get to that list, we think it's really important that you can hear a little bit of the heart behind why the World Watch list exists. It's a list used by media agencies all over the world, right across the USA, Europe, through churches in Australia. This is an important part of our ministry. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this question and answer with a great friend of mine, Vibo Nikolai. I'm really excited to be in your midst this evening. Persecution is real and it is growing. In 1990, after the fall of the Iron Curtain, the CEO of Open Doors came to me and he said, Vivo, thank you very much. I had been working five years in research behind the former Iron Curtain. He said, but the Iron Curtain is no longer there. Praise God, there is freedom in Russia, in Ukraine, in Poland and other countries. But we as Open Doors, we're going to stay faithful to our calling. We want to serve persecuted Christians. So as a researcher, would you provide information to the executive leadership team of Open Doors and give us direction where to go next? <laughs> Frankly, that was quite an assignment. And I was praying about it and wondering how to tackle this, this challenge. And I thought in order to do justice to our brothers and sisters all over the world, I need to make sure we have an objective system so we really can compare and measure persecution of religion, of Christians. And then I can go back to the leadership of Open Doors and tell, asking them if you could go in this and these countries, help the brothers over there and sisters would be fantastic. So this list, I worked on it in 1990, January 1991. It was a, a privilege to release the first list. And since then, that list has been coming out every year. And now we have a whole team working uh, on this list. How does that work? Do you have a team on the ground in each country? Do they visit countries? What does that look like? We have a, a team out, uh, in, let's say, in the free world, who is working on the world watch list. Each of these teams is responsible for a part of the world. They are collecting as, 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 much, as many data as possible. At the same time, in all the countries who are on the list, we have people on the ground. They are a supplier of information. And finally, we also work together with other ministries. We're also asking them to, to give us up-to-date information. All that information is being gathered year-round, and then once a year, we compile a new list. Because when I first started on this project in 1991, until 2005, basically not much changed. We had every year about 40 countries we felt led by the spirit to work into. But then something happened. Because since 2005, 2006, every year new countries were being added to the list. Today, Open Doors is working in about 70 countries where there's persecution. That's almost doubling the number of countries in just a time span of 10 years. That was one major change we have seen in the past decade, the growth of persecution of Christians on a global scale. 
The other major change is that the persecution has intensified. In those first 15 years, 1991, 2005, to make it to place number 50 on the list, you would have to score 25 points. And then all of a sudden, something changed. Today, if a country is ending up at place 50, you have to score about 50 points as well. So the intensity of persecution has doubled in just over 10 years. There are different reasons why Christians are being persecuted. I quickly would highlight a few of them. And to start with Islam, I realize that it's politically totally incorrect, what I'm going to share with you right now. But uh, I would like to ask you to keep two things in mind. First of all, it's my duty to speak out on behalf of persecuted uh, Christians, and that's what I intend to do tonight. And secondly, uh, I have been born in the country of the Netherlands, and some of you may know that we Dutch have a reputation. Uh, we would think we are straightforward, but many other people are thinking the Dutch are blunt, if not rude. So <laughs> please forgive me for, for the next part in this sharing. For a Dutchman, this is quite normal. <laughs> In the religion of Islam, from a Christian perspective, there are many, many issues, but two are standing out, which I would like to highlight with you tonight. And the first one is, within Islam, there is no option to leave. What does this mean? When you are born into an Islamic family, automatically you are being considered to be a Muslim, from childhood onwards until the day you die. You don't have an option, not in any day of your life, to take a decision on your own, I would like to be a Muslim, or I would like to be a Christian, or a Buddhist, or a Hindu, or an atheist. That option does not exist in Islam. However, when you would have been born into an Islamic family, and you decide for yourself to change religion, or maybe you were, you were never a believer in Islam before, but you, now you want to become a Christian, this is not acceptable. And unfortunately, in the system of Islam, there is only one solution for that, and that's penalty of death. And this is creating a major issue for anyone, anywhere in the world, who would like to leave Islam. That's what we have become aware of. But unfortunately, that radical movement in Islam, which started in the late 70s, was followed up by another movement within the world of Hinduism. Hinduism got much more radical in the 1980s. But the world hardly took notice because Hindus would not have terrorist attacks outside of India. But the country of India changed. What does it mean? Every Indian citizen should be a Hindu. And if not, by force, they are trying to turn you into a Hindu believer, both from the government and from the community. This is a huge challenge for the Christian church. And the world heart is aware of that. But just to give you a quick example, in the year of 2013, only four years ago, there were more incidents against the church in India than in the countries of Egypt, Iraq, and Pakistan combined. Now, what does it mean? Just to, to bring this a little bit closer to you, for time's sake, I'm only going to share one testimony. The, our field director was talking about this, this, this example not, not too long ago in a meeting where I was together with Mike. He said, you know, just a few weeks, I traveled with one of my female trauma counselors into a village where we were visiting a home of persecuted believers. He said, we were visiting a home of, of a wife and a daughter. Both had been Christians for a number of years. The daughter was quite young. She was 12 years old. He said, but then on a bad day, their neighbors, who were Hindus, they got all upset about the fact that 
these two uh, uh, females were still following Jesus Christ and had not returned to the faith of, of Hindu. And on the birthday of the son of, of the neighbor, the neighbor's wife, she went to her son. He said, son, congratulations. You have turned 16 years old. From, now, from my perspective, you have become a man. Could you do me a favor? And the boy asked his mother, what kind of favor could I do to you? She said, well, I would like you to teach our neighbors a lesson because they are still Christians. The next door girl is 12 years old. Why don't you do me a favor and you rape her? And that's what he did. And our team was visiting the mother and the girl. And the mother was crying. She said, my daughter has a beautiful voice. She was singing all the time in the house. And then later also she was asked to sing in church. But since she has been raped by, by the boy next door, she never sung again. And our uh, trauma counselor talked to the girl, and it was difficult, difficult, difficult. They spent a whole day with her, and a few times they said, well, let, let me sing together, but, but she refused every single time. And then it was time to, to go back again, and uh, our trauma counselor asked her one time more, wouldn't you be willing to sing just with us one song? And then she paused for a moment, and then she sang, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Persecution has been on the rise consistently for a number of years now in these countries. But it's not just persecution coming from other religions, which is, uh, uh, has become a major problem on a global scale. You also have a lot of other countries which are ruled by dictatorships. And I would say, maybe it's true for any politician, but once they have reached power, they would like to remain in power. For a dictator, this is very, very important. So a dictator will do anything to remain in power. And when that does mean that they have to cross minorities, they are not afraid of doing so. This is a huge problem currently in Central Asia, where there is no democracy and the leadership is afraid to lose power. Christians are often a target in these countries, and this is tough. And to give you an example of that, the school year in many of these Central Asian republics normally starts on the 1st of September. And almost a year ago, a little kid in one of the South countries had, had reached the age six, seven years old that he could go for the first time to school. And he was all excited about that. He happened to be a child of two Muslims who both had converted. His mother and father had become followers of Jesus. They had a little shop setting flowers. And when the boy was going for the first time in his life to school, dressed up pretty nicely, the mother gave him a beautiful bouquet of flowers and he said, you can present it to your teacher. And he was really happy. Before the school opened up the doors, all the kids were standing in front of the school and the headmaster was giving a talk. And he was warning the kids. He said, you have to realize we are living in difficult times nowadays. And in difficult times, there is pressure on the country. And always when there is pressure on the country, you have people who will stand up and defend the country. And unfortunately, you also have people who will betray the country. And there was silence. And then the headmaster called for this little boy. He didn't know what was going on. He was just six, seven years old. He thought, this is a great chance. I can give the flowers now to the headmaster. So proudly, he marched onwards up to the front. But when he arrived at the headmaster, the headmaster continued. He says, we know who will be the traitors of our nation. This boy is belonging to a family of traitors. He snatched the flowers, threw them on the ground, and stamped on them and then the kid could go back. One incident 
one day in the life of the boy. But you can imagine the impact. How do you deal with all of these stories and the weight of the field workers being hurt? And are there any passages of Scripture that you draw hope from particularly? Um, again, being Dutch, <laughs> for the first 20 years being part of Open Doors, it was not a key struggle because the level of persecution I, I witnessed, with the only exception of Colombia actually, was, was somehow, at least in my case, it was durable. I, 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 I ran into bad situations, but at the same time, I, I could be a blessing for the people, for the situations I, I, I was facing. And, and that was in balance. I only started to struggle in 2005, 2006, uh, because of the atrocities of Al-Qaeda. It was on such a scale, it was almost unbelievable. There was so much suffering, and it was beyond what we as Open Doors could do. I mean, we, we really worked hard, we are still working hard, but that, that, that has been a challenge. So the, the, the past 10 years uh, have been harder, and I, I had to remind myself again and again, it's, this is not about me, it's not even about Open Doors, it's about the Lord. I have to trust him and walk with him. And he is in control. Also, when I see bad situations which, which I cannot comprehend, I need to accept that I'm just a human being and he is God. Thinking of scriptures, there's one particular scripture which really has helped me, uh, and that is in, in, in Psalms. There is a reverence or a saying that, that the word of the God is a light for my foot. You, you may remember that, that scripture. Well, I thought about it for a long time. Because frankly, when, when I first thought about it, I thought it's a rather stupid scripture, with all, all respect. Because, <laughs> because if you put a light to your foot, it doesn't make much sense because you hardly can see anything. Also, when Jesus is talking about a lamp, you put it high up, and then the lamp is spreading the light, and everybody can see. This is what a lamp should be doing. When you put it next to your foot, it has a very different effect. But when I thought about it more, I realized, no, it's not stupid at all. There is no stupidity in the word anyway. It is an important lesson. Because when we trust upon the Lord, in many, many situations, at least in my life, He is giving me indeed enough life to take the next step. But unfortunately, I cannot see the whole road. I would love to, but I cannot. I need to depend on Him. And that is good for your spiritual balance. It's not nice because... It allows you no longer to be in control. You have to give control to the Lord. But at the same time, when you trust upon Him, there's a weight lifted up from your shoulders. This is about the Lord. This is not about me. Great. So good. Um, Mike, you are a father and a husband, and your children are part of this journey with you. How do you balance the line between wisdom and taking risks for the gospel in that light? I, um, I remember when I first started with Open Doors, I had the privilege of sitting down with Brother Andrew, who's the founder of uh, Open Doors. And I remember he said two things to me that, that I'll never forget. And number one was, Mike, God might call you to go, but he may not call you to come back. And that, to me, was a real, it was a real challenge, right? And, and I say, and I know some people here will have heard me say it a lot, but I spent 33 years living as though my Jesus was a mix between Superman and Santa Claus. You know, a God that gave me everything but called me to nothing. And then I sit down with Brother Andrew and in three seconds he undoes it all, right? And then, and then after that he said to me, the other challenge is that in good Christian life in the West, without us realising it, we often have this hierarchy that says, 
family, God, work. And he says, but Mike, it goes God, family, work. He says, if the Lord calls you to go, you go. And so that's it's the passion you've got to live with because following Jesus is 0% or 100%, black, white, in, out. There's no middle ground. And I think that's what Weibo was touching on before and something that I try and live by. And so that's why or how I manage risk and wisdom. Uh, there is so many questions coming in here. You broke the internet. Um, so, <laughs> Weibo, you travel all around the world. You meet with persecuted Christians. Uh, what, you know, when we talk about the idea of supporting persecuted believers here in Australia, what does that look like? What are the kinds of things that they're asking for? What, what is a need that stands out to you the most? And there is a real attack nowadays in our world, in the first world, on the family. There is more and more job discrimination when you are willing to stand out for your Christian faith, when you are willing to stand out for, uh, for the values of God's Word. And this is getting closer and closer, and we expect within open doors we are going to see many changes in the next 10 years, limiting our freedom of religion for sure in Europe and possibly also in Northern America and here in Australia. And for that reason, I used to always share about the persecuted church to be a blessing for them, to reach out to them and to help our brothers and sisters on the persecution because we are one body. But nowadays, I'm, I'm adding something. We can learn from them because they have gone for persecution. They know how to deal with it. They may have lessons for us to prepare us for persecution when this may come in the next 10 years. Weibo, you travel all around the world. You meet with persecuted Christians. Uh, what... You know, when we talk about the idea of supporting persecuted believers here in Australia, what does that look like? What are the kinds of things that they're asking for? What, what is a need that stands out to you the most? Okay. That's an, that's, that's, that's an easy question to answer. Now, the number one request, and that's going back to my very first trip for Open Doors to Poland in 85, and then up to, up to now a few weeks ago to, uh, to the Middle East, is always, can you pray for us? And then, then we say, of course. And then you get a list of specific prayer requests. And to be frank, we spend a lot of time in collecting all those uh, prayer requests from the field. We are making it available to our own staff. We're also trying to send it to you. You can get a subscription, I think, also here in Australia on our prayer list. But prayer is number one. Secondly, it's engagement, interaction. So apart from prayer, when you have a possibility to hook up with the ministry and to make a field trip, that is wonderful because that is showing that they are not being forgotten. You are making the effort to visit them by yourself. And just to give you a quick, quick example of that, we have one guy which for me is a tremendous hero. I will call him Brother A, but he is overseeing the distribution of over 100,000 New Testaments in secret in Iran. And I always wondered what has given him the guts and the strength to be part of this very, very risky operation. He is a Muslim convert, and he could easily be, have been killed in the past. And one day I was able to get him out of the country, and we could openly speak, and I was wondering, what is his spiritual secret? And I was expecting some, some special Bible verses or maybe a revelation of the Holy Spirit. But what was, it, what was his answer? He said, the first time you were visiting, visiting us from the West, I saw so much love uh, in your eyes, so much passion for my country, I felt ashamed. And I was thinking, wow, these foreigners are visiting my country to be a blessing for, for my people, for my church. I need to step up. And he said, then 
people continued, kept on visiting our country, tried to be a blessing for the people of Iran. He said, that changed my life. So the impact you may make on such a field trip is, is, is incredible. And finally, down to earth, we simply need finances to pay for our fall, but our projects. So that's, that's also part of how you can help. Awesome. Let's give Weibo another round of applause. Hey? God bless. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Cazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au.